Welcome to DMs Discuss, where this week DMs will discuss the quiet year. This, this week we're going to be talking about uh, a really cool system you can check out uh, over at buriedwithoutceremony.com. Uh, the creators of uh, this system called Quiet Year that we recently utilized in Chris's game. Uh, Chris, you want to talk us through why you chose this and kind of what, what the basis of it is? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I had... Uh one of my campaigns come to an end, my longest running one, uh, probably was good seven or eight years, level 20, it, it, it finally ended. And I've been running all my games in the same homebrew world and a larger system called that I call Pungeons and Flagons. Uh, so currently there are you know, two, three, four campaigns that I've done set in this place. And at the end of it, you know, it's kind of like, where do we go next? There's been this long story uh, they've we've kind of been everywhere on like this landmass I created. And so I was like, well, you know what, Let, let's go somewhere else. And I was thinking of how to do that when I stumbled onto this game because I had first heard it uh, used on the Adventure Zone podcast, where for their Ether Sea season, they used it to start off that campaign. And cool. I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I. Also listened to Either C and loved Either C. I actually didn't listen to the making of this, so I hadn't had any experience with Quiet Year until we did this uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I've listened to Either C, but I didn't listen to their their session zero or their session negative one or whatever you want to call it, where they actually like employed the the parts of this system. So I'm excited to hear about your experiences with it. Yeah. So as an overview, uh, the general purpose of a Quiet Year is essentially it is a world building and map making game that's played collaboratively with all the players so like there's no dungeon master uh everyone has an equal say and a chance to say like whatever they want inside it which is really cool because you know i like the idea of that because if you're building a new DD world it means that everyone who's playing in it is part of like the building of it. it's not like i'm going to show up with a big mm-hmm. binder and being like welcome to my sandbox figure it out <laughs> everyone got everyone had a chance to you know build their own little sandcastle <laughs> so when so is this notion of like everyone contributing is that every session or is that like the prep session so my intention for this was that we played quiet year like over a day on the weekend where we all got together and like now it's done uh it, it's a very interesting plot device because essentially the loose framework of it is that you are a group of people who is have arrived somewhere and you have to establish resources and accomplish things. And then the game ends at some kind of unknown change. Uh, the game calls it the Frost Shepherds, but it's meant to be just like an enigmatic something that changes the status quo. Yeah. So like this isn't an ongoing thing throughout the campaign. This was a like one weekend, like pre-session zero, where we all got together and uh, played this. And now the world that we created by playing a quiet year for that one day is the world that will now be under Chris's control and all of the things that normally happen in a D&D campaign where the DM will uh, like come up with things and have you go on adventures and stuff will all happen within that world that he's that we've now all collaboratively put together. Gotcha. So so in terms of like so that that initial prep session, that's the one where people contribute 
and I believe there's cards involved. Is that correct? Yeah. So like I'll I'll go get into like more of a, a detailed run through of how it worked. So gotcha. As as, oh. as the DM, right? I came into it. Uh, I knew that this next next campaign I wanted to be a spell jammer campaign. Uh, so the the hook for the whole start of this was that uh, all the nations of my previous campaign's world, uh, called Athelion, decided like spelljammer technology had become prevalent and they needed to move outwards and establish like essentially a a colony on like a, sp- a chunk of wild space. They found like a big floating space rock and all the nations decide we're going to go together and we're going to build a town here. This is going to be our, our trading port to now interact with all of the regions of wild space. So, so there was an event that caused those factions to try to colonize a new planet. Yes. Well, essentially, you know, it was like, it's something like it's, the technology had been around. It was introduced in like one of my earlier campaigns and it was just collectively decided, you know what, if we're going to do this, let's all do it together. We're all going to have our own little spaces in this area. But if we're all here at the same time, then, you know, like we can defend against threats and we can build more effectively. Gotcha. So then in this this prep session, everyone is kind of contributing to the design of the world. And I, I saw the result of it. I saw the result of it being a map and a ton of factions and various NPCs. So all of that was like essentially crowdsourced from the players. Yeah. And so the players don't play as a specific person. They play as the community as a whole and sometimes, you know, groups within that community. Uh, so, you know, it, it starts with a big map where it had, you know, a big sheet of uh, black bristle board and some white paint markers. So it looked cool and spacey. And I'd already sketched out the general shape of uh, the landmass. And it was just blank. There's nothing on it. You know, there's a big central chunk, a few smaller islands and archipelago. And, you know, that's all we had. And then the game essentially starts off with, you know, the outline of, you know, like, who is your community? Why are they here? And it also gets to add a cool thing where everyone goes around the table and they get to name a resource. Uh, That is something that's in demand. And so, you know, everyone chose that. And then one resource is chosen to be plentiful and the rest of them are in scarcity. Gotcha. So, Mike, what was the resource that you put out there? Uh, so, I wanted to tie this world uh, to the previous thing. So, the resource that I put out there was a made-up resource from uh, the original campaigns, which was this white stone that had been found around a lake in the old campaign that was utilized by artificers because of its ability to be infused with magic. So, there was a whole new type of golem that Chris had created out of this stone and stuff like that. So. I made that white stone stuff uh, one of the resources that uh, was one of the four that we got to name. I believe Sweet. it started in scarcity. Yeah, gotcha. And then so, Chris, as as the like as a facilitator of this, like you're also contributing to this. Like, did you pick a resource? Yes. Sweet. So the ones we started with was uh, white stone, gunpowder, wheat, gold, and space whales. Space whales was a resource. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was decided by one of our players that you know they'd be a valuable resource for both food and oil. Uh, mm. So it's something that we desire, and so mm-hmm. gunpowder was chosen to be uh, in 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 abundance, and everything else is in scarcity. And so that kind of sets you up that as you begin playing the game, 
the scarcities are problems that the community has to solve because there's things they need or want that they don't have. Gotcha. So, yeah. so resources is something that during this planning session, y'all work together to, or the group works together to kind of make up these resources and determine scarcity. What's, what's something yeah. else that you work together to like? Well, so like as, as the game goes on, right, the, a year is 52 weeks. So um, I'm sure Chris will get more into the details of like the cards and stuff like that. But essentially every week, one player draws one card and the, the deck has 52 cards in it, like a normal playing card deck. Oh, so the cards aren't used like during prep. The cards are used during like when. The, well, when so the there is no prep. Them. No, no, there is no prep. So when I say each. So for this whole game, right, this whole session takes place over 52 weeks of the game of quiet year. So the the one session of this that we played was the whole game. And each player essentially picks a card and then resolves their turn. And then that uh, there's like a list of things you do during your turn. One of them is like draw a card, start a project, explore, things like that. So um, yeah, essentially throughout the year, as you draw cards, there are things that are like introduce a new faction or... Uh, start a project or delay all projects by a week, things like that uh, throughout the year that lead you to being able to either get rid of those scarcities, put things that were in abundance into scarcity, introduce new resources, like tons of stuff happens throughout the cards throughout the week or throughout the year. Sorry. So, so is, is the quiet year meant to be played as one session? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought this was like kind of prep and set up for a longer term campaign. Well, it is, but like it, it, so essentially they did is Quiet Year is essentially like a, a pregame session negative one where you build mm, the world and then the campaign starts when the Quiet Year ends, right? Because ah. you essentially, spe- everyone works together to decide what happens in the one year before the campaign. Mm-hmm. And then the thing happens, which is, you know, the end of the game. And that's where the players will now come in and they are people who exist within this community and part of this world. So is the Quiet Year supposed to like, is the intention of the game developers here that when the when the quiet year ends, then you jump into a campaign? It's left very open. Gotcha. Um, where it says, you know, the goal of this game is to play as a community and build a map. And the game can just end and you've played it and you have the map. Or you can ah, do see. whatever you want with it. You know, it's very, it's system agnostic, right? It could be any gotcha. setting, any time period, any TTRPG. Uh, Because, you know, it's just very broad questions. It doesn't reference, you know, like elves or guns or things like that. So in so in 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 the one session, you guys sat together for whatever, three, four hours. uh, You kind of made these. (laughs) What's that? Eight? It was like eight. Holy shit. It's supposed to take four four or five. But, you know, we were having having some drinks. We were chatting about it. It was a fun time. (laughs) I see. I see. So so this can play out over a few sessions. But the gist of it is that, like, you start the game, everyone, it's kind of this collaborative, everyone contributes to the building of this world and map. And then during those sessions, you're going through week one, week two, week three, week four. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, you're kind of done, but you're using this as kind of a, a foray into your your next. Yeah, it's like, you know, you made this world, it. now go play in it. Gotcha. Yeah. That's sweet. And it's like, great because the players will be able to make really, really engaged backstories because they know so much about the world because they built it. 
And so, you know, I've already like we haven't had like our, our session zero yet, but I already know that some of the people are are pulling from like these factions, these cities to like build their origins to be like really like tightly connected to the world. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, so I'll go to like how the actual like game runs like once you do this. So, you know, starting thing, you have a blank map, you've got your resources and then you start with the cards. So uh, as Mike was saying, there's 52 cards that are split into four seasons. And you play one season at a time where you shuffle it through. And essentially, you know, it's based off of deck of cards. So it's, you know, like, uh, you know, two, two to ten. And then the face cards, we have, you know, jack, king, queen, and ace. And the seasons represent the kind of like styles of gameplay where summer is about like exploration, about building, kind of like finding things about your community. Um, and then, uh, sorry, spring is where it starts with that. And then summer is kind of, you know, like you get kind of get some bigger threats. There's more progress. Uh, autumn starts to introduce challenges and starts to like you start to lose things. And then winter will be the most dangerous one where a lot of stuff can go bad. And also uh, the game can end at any time. Interesting. Yeah, because the game ends when you draw the card that the the frost giants have arrived or whatever, right? Yeah, it's the frost shepherds. <laughs> and it's the ace frost shepherds, winter. Sorry. Yeah. So. Oh, it's the Ace of Winter. Gotcha. So, so the, these cards are. So, let's say if I wanted to run this game, I could run session one, spring, and we'd go through the weeks of, of yeah. spring there. Yeah. Gotcha. That's interesting. Yeah, it does lend itself to good pacing for that if you wanted to split it up, especially, you know, if you're playing like online and don't have the time for it, then it, it is a good natural point to run it a season at a time. Yeah. I'm curious to hear a bit more about the world and like how you guys set it up. Like, I mean, the, the resources was really interesting, but. What other what other world building was done in that in that initial session? Yeah, so uh, once we had that, you know, we started using uh, the cards, and so the the only other thing we did before we started drawing cards was we chose like just a place on the map, which is like where we landed, and that essentially, you know, that's where our people are, right? Uh, so we'd have to kind of start from there, believably, like you know, we weren't going to just decide to build a lighthouse on the other side of this, you know, chunk of land, right? Um. So, like, for spring, um, I can't remember what the exact first card we had, but uh, I'll just pick, like, a random card from spring. Um, so, uh, one of them is uh, let's say the, four, the Four of Spring. And the card says, What important and basic tools does the community lack? Or, where are you storing your food? Why is this a risky place to store things? So, the way it works is the player who draws this card, they read it out loud. And then they choose which of these prompts they're going to deal with. And the rest of the players can't can't comment on it. It's it's only up to the person who draws it. Yeah, and so I think for this one in particular, uh, the player in question shows that we had a shortage of agriculture tools, a shortage of farming tools, and that caused a problem. Yeah, and so that got added as a new scarcity. Sorry, I didn't catch that last part, Chris. What happened to the scarcity? So it became a new scarcity. So the resources oh, we've chosen, there can be new ones added in any category of abundance or scarcity or just kind of like neutral. So so at this point, you added agriculture tools to this the scarcity table with like, it's scarce. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's a new problem we have to deal with. So what are the, what are the sorts of... So I, I'm kind of interested to hear about like these different cards and some of the different things that come up during the game. Like... What are some of the more interesting ones for for y'all? Uh, I think um, as as a player, I think my favorite like 
one that came up was just a new faction arrives. Who are they? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So like I just got to introduce essentially from one of the other campaigns, there was another group that had been like an exploration uh like guild that was competing with us in another world. So I just had them arrive on the other side of the continent essentially that we have created. And now we have uh one of the main competitors of our old guild is now here. So So you, you introduced a competing faction into the world. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. And co- competing is not even necessarily like with whatever the story is going to be. It's just we know they're against the larger collaborative community. Mm-hmm. The faction was against the larger collaborative community? Yeah, they end up, uh, you I know, see. the player chose for them to settle away from the main area and kind of do their own thing. Oh, I see. They're historically a fairly evil organization of like, you know, rich monocled adventurers. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. And this was pulling from stuff from from a previous campaign and just kind of reintroducing them into this, like into this area. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So scarcity in in farming tools, a new faction arrived. I'm curious, like uh, the notion of like threats, monsters, things like that. Does do the cards kind of speak to that or are there cards that introduce kind of these like wildlife threats or enemies? Absolutely. uh seven of spring <laughs> is uh where does everyone sleep who is happy or unhappy with this arrangement and why or what natural predators roam this area are you safe and that <laughs> one was used to introduce uh so one thing we did is to set up like the resources uh you also represent them on the map and so we had drawn uh, essentially like a large sulfur mine which is the gunpowder abundance and so it was chosen by a player that the natural predators here are blast worms which are large tunneling worms that feed on the sulfur. And when they die, they explode. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So like, let's, so let's say like, so players take turns, like on their turn, one of the things they do is draw a card. That's my understanding so far. Mm-hmm. And then they, they get to respond to that prompt and other players are not allowed to talk or like veto or like do anything in relation to, to them responding. Is that correct? yeah like technically in the game like you're not supposed to talk at all during it we kind of like did that just because we were more workshopping it but definitely like you were not to be like no don't do that uh especially yeah. we'll get into them later but you know some of the later cards will undo other players things they've added so i'll go into more like how a turn works so the first thing is you play your card as we've gone over you got your two prompts um you can you adjust the dice of projects which i'll also talk about in a bit uh, then you take an action where you can choose three things to do, where you can discover something new, where you just put something on the map, anything. Uh, you can hold discussion where essentially you make a statement or a question and it goes around the circle and everyone kind of comments on how the community feels about that. Or you can start a project and a project, is something you will draw on the map and it takes anywhere from one to six weeks to complete potentially more, uh, but it has to be broken down to stages. And how do you, you determine that? How do you determine like how long a like let's say it's, it's my turn and I Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So if I said I wanted to uh build some sort of rail system so that we could travel a little further, then the group would decide like we consensus on how long that would take. Like how does that yeah. work? Yeah. And so, you know, like for example, uh we actually did build like kind of like a, a transit system 
between like the large like settling cities uh and it's like okay well you know like we already had iron in abundance when we did that so we're like okay so we have the materials to do this and we've already built these bridges so like we know how to build the infrastructure so i think we settled on it taking like five weeks yeah interesting how, how do you prevent like in a case like that i guess i guess it's just consensus but let's say i said i wanted to build a transit system throughout the land and the whole land and like based on the community like we feel that five weeks is not viable at all. Like it just not realistic. Well, then it'd break, yeah, be broken that. to a stage project and you'd be like, okay, let's build a rail line from here to here. And that's going to take X amount of weeks. Oh, I see. And then okay. the second stage will be like this part of the rail line. Okay, yeah. That exactly. If you want to do something that takes longer than six weeks, because when you do that, you put a, a die on the board and every player's turn, they reduce all the die by one, uh, indicating the progress of another week. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so walk me through, walk me through an entire so we're, we kind of have that empty map. We've determined resources. I think that's like the first step is just kind of that quick chat about resources. Yeah. Yep. And then after that, like turns start. Uh, we chose our, like the landing area. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, then turns just started. Okay. Like, so know, the people are here in this general area. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's walk our listeners through like an entire turn. Like I'm trying to, trying to understand like like i'm the first player i draw my card and then like walk me through an entire turn uh yeah sure um so if we do it as your card then you like you draw i'll just give you like a, a random spring card here um so there you go uh an old piece of machinery is discovered broken but perhaps repairable what is it what could it be useful for or an old piece of machinery is discovered cursed and dangerous how does the community destroy it so you'd read that out loud and then decide. All right. So I'm going to decide that um, we found a machine that's able to purify blastware meat and make it edible. Okay. And so then what you would do is you would draw some kind of representation of where that machine was found on the map so we know it exists. All right. And then you would have your choice to take to either discover something. So you could just draw a new thing on the map. You could start a project, potentially repairing that machine. Or you could have a discussion where you could ask everyone, you know, what 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 should be done about this. So on my turn, I'm like a- acting as a community, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say like as a community, we, we do decide to have some of our uh, more scientific members start to research how to repair this machine yeah so you could start a project and then then you'd ask you know like how long do we think it would take to fix this i mean you know it's a meat printing machine so it's probably not that big you know it'd just be you know a singular machine so you know i think it'd be reasonable like once you understand it maybe like a week yeah maybe, maybe two a week or two to repair week right. for research and a week to actually do the, re- the repairs so what happens if there's disagreements among the party so like in my mind i'm thinking like okay maybe three weeks that's a good question so ultimately like you know i think it would come down to a vote if someone was really stuck on three weeks um but there is a, a system for that where part of the game if you buy the physical version is it comes with things called contempt tokens which are little tiny skulls <laughs> and you can have the choice to either put them in front of yourself or on the map to represent disagreements in the community. 
like uh let's say that part of the community was like there's a religious order who thinks that machinery is evil and you know and you said we're fixing this machine we're gonna start purifying this meat uh i would take a contempt token i'd put it on the machine being like um well this church thinks that we shouldn't be fixing the things the machine because obviously it destroyed the civilization so i'm gonna put contempt on there that's a really cool uh mechanic and so that lets you, like, by the end of the game, there's all this contempt flying around, which sets up the politics mm-hmm. and the relationships of the world. It's yeah. like, we actually, we ran out of contempt tokens. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> had to make a list. Um, so I'll just read through, like, our, our final thing. is just like, uh, no one likes the Crystal Shear Imperium. Uh, the Giants dislike disfor- uh, deforestation. Crystal Shear dislikes socialism times two. Um, <laughs> uh, the people don't like the Dark Powder Clan. Uh, the bridge checkpoint caused a lot of issues. Uh, everyone hates the pit people. <laughs> the pit the, people. <laughs> the necronome settlement is three uh, dislikes for their use of zombies. Um, no one likes the anarchists. People Did you like just say pirates. necronome? Yes. That was a whole thing from a card <laughs> where the card was a charismatic young girl convinces many to help her with an elaborate scheme. Uh, what is it who joins her start a project to reflect this? Or a charismatic young girl tries to tempt many into sinful or dangerous activity. Why does she do this? How do they respond? That card by the players decided that in the gnome city, uh, a young girl convinced everyone they should be using undead as manual labor because, you know, they're trying to get this built as fast as possible and dead bodies are wasted material. So they started resurrecting corpses to essentially build their city faster, which the other settlements didn't like. And also it was very divided in the gnome community uh, because everyone started saying that, you know, all the gnomes are necromancers. And throughout the game, they eventually splintered off and formed their own separate, like, necronome city uh, allied with the evil explorers guys on the other side of the map. <laughs> that, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. My only uh, addition to that was that uh, I came up with the fact that their religious text is called the Necronomicon. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I like it, though. <laughs> um yeah i we'll, we'll give listeners permission to use that i think that's a gem <laughs> that's anyways, back to uh the turn order so then yeah so your, i your decided on done. i i decided on starting that project repairing the machine we all decided it's let's cause gonna say everyone decides it's two weeks um which kind of like i'm getting kind of ptsd from like sitting in meetings and trying to point <laughs> out development <laughs> tickets uh for building software but okay we decide two weeks there's no contempt everybody's cool with it my turn ends yeah all right and then it just goes around the table where then mike would draw his card and you know resolve whatever's on it take one of his actions and then he would also reduce your project die by one meaning it only has one week Sweet. left to completion when yeah. when my when my turn ends okay so when my turn ends and mike turns begin that's been a week yeah oh yeah cool. okay so every turn then, is one week. Exactly. Gotcha. And yeah, so then after, you know, like Mike goes, I go, your project gets to zero. So it's finished. And then you would get to come in and say, you know, what is the result of this project being done? And you'd probably update uh, whatever you drew in the map for it. Yeah. Okay. Like, for example, one of the projects that uh, I put forth on the map that you can see, I'm sure we'll post the map on uh, Instagram and whatnot. Um, Essentially, the little archipelago that has all the islands on it is where we chose to settle. So one of the projects I proposed ended up being a six-week project, 
to build bridges between all of the islands so that we could easily traverse them rather than having to be on spell jammers to get from little city to little city around that area. Sweet. So when that project got kicked off, I got to draw like the outline of them, like dotted lines essentially for bridges. And then when the project finally completed, I drew all the bridges in. So the bridges that are on the map, there were a project that was put forth by a player in the game. Gotcha. So let's say at the end of my project, right? So my project gets completed and I say that the machine works fairly successfully. Um, but for every pound of meat or for every bit of meat we try to purify, we get attacked by little parasitic mites that were in the worm meat. So how does stuff like that get resolved? So it's, it's something so generally, like if a project is completed, it just happens successfully because there are cards that force projects to fail or have to adapt. Ah, I so see. you wouldn't necessarily want to introduce stuff in your own project uh, because like cards will force you to do that. And you'll, that at that point, you're just kind of like kneecapping your own community. Gotcha. So I, I'd say, okay, well, we're able to now, like if there's any leftover blastworm meat or if we find dead blastworms we're able to purify their meat for the community. So I would say that the resolution that would also add uh, now blastworm meat might be in surplus as a resource. It's now added to the resource table. Oh, that's yeah. cool. This is, That's really cool. And so that's also kind of the point of projects, right? Is that for the scarcities we had, people were starting projects to alleviate those. So someone, you know, over the course of the game, for example, gold was in scarcity. One person on their turn used uh, the, you know, discover something action. And they said that there's a lake over here that is rich in like gold sediment. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's like deep deposits in there. And then later, another player started a project to build a refinery to essentially process and get that gold, uh, thereby giving us a gold abundance. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really cool. I like this system seems. Just off the top of my head, it, like, it seems really dynamic. And I, I know D&D, &D, we talk about D&D &D and like, oh, you can do anything and you can, mm -hmm. you can kind of, you know, do whatever you want. Like, you can certainly try that sort of kind of attitude, right? But this seems like, I, I like the way this is very, like, dynamic and creative. It seems a lot more creative in terms of, the sort of responses you can give to the cards. Yeah, well, it is. And not even just the responses you can give to the cards. The, the discover a new thing is literally exactly what it sounds like. The part of your turn where you can just be like, there's this thing here on the map. Yeah. Like Chris was talking about the pit people. The pit people were because I think on Josh's first turn. Yeah, it was like, yeah, very early into the game. <laughs> very early in the game. Like I think the second card drawn uh, on the turn for the second card, Josh was just like, there's a, a pit here and the inside of it is all like meaty and gooey meat pit meat pit and the meat pit became like the basis for a lot of what happened going forward it turns out that there was a like a group of people that worshiped the meat pit and sacrificed things to the meat pit and that's an ongoing issue now <laughs> within yes, the world more enigmatically all that's left is that there's simply a group of autonomes who simply go about their you know their their programming to continuously sacrifice to the meat pit yeah. And so, you know, who, who put them there? What do they sacrifice for? What happens if they stop? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So how do you track? So I, I like I can absolutely see the appeal to like 
this community building and people just being creative with kind of the, the positives they want to introduce, the failures that get introduced by the cards. How do you track sort of the health of a, of the community? Like whether you're doing well or poorly, like I'm just curious whether there's any sort of mechanics around that. I would say there isn't a hard mechanic, you know, generally you don't want to have everything in scarcity because like there's no like winning or losing the game right it's just you know like how do you deal with these problems that get thrown at you especially like in once you hit fall and winter and it starts really throwing like aggressive curveballs at you uh it's you know what ideas can you come up with to deal with these and i think you know it's more meant to be the players can decide how healthy the community is yeah gotcha yeah, so it's it sounds like this is really meant to be like sit around, chat, brainstorm, throw out cool ideas, tell little stories. Um, that seems to be kind of the aim of this system. Exactly. Like, you know, part of it is that, you know, like because you're drawing on the map the entire time, like you're kind of filling out this blank space with this whole world uh, that's kind of explored. You know, people take advantage of that as, you know, they'll use their discover something turn to, you know, find an area of the map that looks empty and being like, okay, like this is here now. There's like a big part of the south. Someone's like, you know what? There's a, a giant lake here and there's four huge turtles. Each of them has like a, a little tribe on the back. And that's this part of the map now. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty sweet. I mean, like just reading, like reading the the kind of blurb for the quiet year. So it's, quiet year is a map game. You define the struggles of a community living after the collapse of civilization and attempt to build something good within their quiet year. Every decision and every action is set against a backdrop of dwindling time and rising concerns. So, I mean, I guess in, in this game, like the no real winning or losing, but everybody's goal is to try to help this community like rebuild and strive. Yeah. And, you know, that was the thing we started to start was that the goal of the community was to build a successful, you know, spaceport gotcha. yeah. uh, with these nations in collaboration. And yeah, reading that blurb for the first time definitely made me think that Chris thought we were going to lose the other campaign, though. Say that. What, <laughs> there's, what actually, there's actually <laughs> a va- variance of this uh, where it's called uh, the Deep Forest, which is the losing version of this game, where essentially it's monsters uh, inhabiting a world without civilization. Yeah, apparently, essentially, we got told that uh, if we had lost the like end boss fight of the previous campaign, we would be doing the monster version of this and playing in a monster-based world because we lost and we <laughs> fucked up and our world was gone. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Deep forest here as well. So that's kind of cool. I mean, I think this system is really cool. Like, I know Chris is using it as sort of a way to kind of establish the backdrop for the next bit of Pungent and Flagons. That's, that's correct, right? Yeah. So like one thing I'm curious about is I know obviously for me, the appeal of playing something like D and D as a player is that the DM has all those kind of story points and things in mind. And as an adventurer, I don't know a ton about the world and um, being able to discover these different things is part of the appeal for me in playing like a, a fantasy role-playing game. So I'm curious how, like, for example, Mike, you'll be a player in that upcoming campaign, right? So, like, how do you feel going into that campaign knowing as much as you do about the entirety of of the world or, or a chunk of, so of the world? For me, I think 
A, I think that this is kind of the base spaceport. It's going to be a Spelljammer campaign, so I assume that we will be exploring many surrounding areas that have yet to be discovered. This is kind of like the home port. Uh, but even if that isn't the case, and we do spend the majority of the campaign, or at least the early part of the campaign in this area, I don't know... Like, I know where all of these things are and that all of these factions exist, but, like, I don't, as a player or as, like, a character, know any of the, like, political goings-on. I don't know what projects these groups are working on themselves. Uh, I don't know any of the, like, the political intrigue that's happening between factions, right? Like, I don't know yeah, any of that stuff. So, like, Chris is taking this map and like the basis of what we talked about, which was like a very like thousand foot view kind of, of the world. Gotcha. And he's developing all of those like intricate storylines and things like that. Like he normally would. Right. Yeah. So Chris, can I make a suggestion? Yeah. Uh, the pit people and the, and the necronomes form an alliance. <laughs> <laughs> No one knows what the pit people's deal is. <laughs> that sounds so, really interesting. In regards to what you're saying, Scott, you know, I the game doesn't end with like, you know, like any satisfying resolution. It's just over, right? So like there were projects that were on the map that weren't finished. Uh there's, you know, like ongoing disputes between factions and stuff. And oh, you can think of it almost like, you know, when you watch like a movie, there's kind of like, you know, like that prologue bit where it's just like, you know, like, oh, these people came to space and they settled it, you know, like there's, you know, this big, like, you know, rich imperialist nation, and then, like, you know, the elves, the dwarves, and the gnomes and stuff, and then this lawless space city, and then they all hate, you know, the necronomes and the silver thorn, who are off over here, and they form their own, like, criminal thing, and there's gangs and stuff, and then, like, you zoom down to just five people in this world, yeah, and it says, and go, you yeah, know, I all think... this intrigue has been laid out. I think one thing that you mentioned there that is kind of where my mindset was or like kind of what I was thinking was that you talked about there kind of not being a meaningful resolution to the end of the game here. Like, mm -hmm. I know you talked about the the ending card or the winter card being the Frost Shepherds. Uh, like, when the Frost Shepherds come, like, because well, we talk about resolution here, and I see this system being like a really cool way to to world build and map build and set up you know, be that prologue for a D and D campaign or a role playing game campaign. Um, but I'm curious if, if like, would you guys play this as like a standalone? I think it could be fun. Like I, I feel like, uh, I don't think it'd have as much appeal because like, you know, like you spent all this time building this thing and then just kind of uh, sits there and like, it's yeah. fun. Uh, but I think the, the advantage of it is the fact that, you know, like, you built something that everyone knows about. Yeah, I, I think I, I would play this as a standalone. It was a really fun experience. Um, I think part of the fun was definitely that I knew this was going to be the basis for a new D&D &D campaign that I'm also super stoked about. Um, but like it was fun just as an experience in and of itself. Just like taking something that was just a blank outline and turning it into a world with factions and intrigue and resources and uh, like all of the possibilities of that was actually really fun. So I, I would play it alone. Like I would play it as just a standalone for sure. But I think that as the basis for a new campaign, the way that Chris used it here, it's fucking fantastic. Like I think for any game that I do going forward where we're playing in uh, like a non-established world, like if I'm not running uh, like a pre-made, I will definitely do this because it's super, super fun. 
Yeah, I I think so. Just kind of looking through this, it looks like it was awarded the most innovative game in 2013 at the Indie RPG Awards. Um, so it definitely seems to have some like some notoriety, some some following. I mean, obviously the Adventure Zone using it, I think, is the basis for Ether C, right? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm sure that's added to its popularity, but I can definitely see how, as a DM, if you're one of those DMs who's you know, like me, who's probably a little bit lazy and doesn't like to prep a ton, <laughs> a ton. Um, I, I can see this being just a really cool, collaborative, fun uh, way to just kind of flesh out a setting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was, you know, at the end of the day, like it was a really fun game to play where we all sat around a table. We were hanging out and it was just like we spent the whole day just like chatting about this world going around and like we were laughing at stuff or writing stuff down. We have, you know, this big physical map that we're all doodling on. And it was just a really cool thing to work on together. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. How how do you see this? How do you see this kind of, it it sounds really interesting, like in in person and like sitting around the table and being able to just draw on a sheet or something like that. Um, How do you feel about this being used kind of online or in online campaigns? I think it definitely is a little bit harder online. Uh, like you need to, I mean, I think they, as long as you like, there's plenty of like whiteboard style programs yeah. out there that lets people kind of collaboratively mm-hmm. draw. I do think, you know, because it's such like a game about like conversation community, like it, I think it is better in person, but it can definitely be done online. Yeah. I'll, I'll echo that. I think it's um, with the whiteboarding software and stuff that's available now. Uh, I feel like it shouldn't be an issue at all uh, to use it online. It, it definitely was, I think, a little bit more fun because it was the first in-person experience I've had in a while with D and D. So that added to it for me for sure. But um, I don't know. I think it, it, it definitely works online if you have good whiteboarding software and like the ability to have the attention span to sit on Discord for a few hours. Yeah. So. In terms of like, I'm just curious to hear about more of the stuff that came out of the session. Really, I think like as an overview of the system, we've kind of uh, hit on that and discussed it as like, yes, you can do it standalone, but it seems like seems like it would be a fantastic kind of precursor to a D and D campaign or to a role playing game campaign. Yeah. Uh, I just want to hear about more of the stuff that you guys came up with. <laughs> well, I think you know we could dive a bit into just kind of like. Uh the other seasons so you can kind of highlight you know the differences yeah. between like spring summer autumn and winter um so like summer is you know a bit more like aggressive and it kind of like adds but it also gives you like a lot of like uh starting at projects and stuff like that aggressive so over, in what way so like it could be bigger threats are revealed or like adding new things uh to it so you like someone new arrives the eldest among you dies uh but also there's like a lot of ones that let you start extra projects so you could start two in a turn potentially yeah there's also one that is like you just discover and you cast your resources so you could just add an abundance there is something new that's in abundance right now gotcha also one of my favorite ones from that was uh someone tries to take control of the community by force do they succeed why do they do this or a headstrong community member decides to put one of their ideas in motion start a foolish project oh that's (laughs) interesting oh i remember what this one was this was matt's what was it uh Uh, go ahead mike (laughs) he started uh 
a place where they made saddles for blastworms? No, this was it was <laughs> it was, was the guy who ranch. He ta- he was trying to tame the blastworms. Right. <laughs> yeah, trying to tame That's the funny. blastworms. So there's a, there's a blastworm ranch on the map. Uh, if you take a look at it, that's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. so it was decided this this guy, this one dude called Maverick McQueen, who just said, "I'm going to go out and I'm going to tame the blastworms." And then later on in the game, another card had the effect of a project finishes early, and someone used it to finish up the blastworm project, so it just worked. <laughs> <laughs> it just okay. So you're in your community. You got blastworm blastworm riders. Yeah, sweet. Uh, so so summer's this very like multiple projects, lots of stuff going on. This or sorry, is this spring? That's summer. Oh, summer. Okay, gotcha. So when when what season do you start? And you start in spring. You start in yes. spring. So spring's kind of this prep, and then summer. Yeah, gets it's a lot this of very... asking questions about it's discovering things, asking questions about who's gotcha. in your community. Uh, summer is just like a lot of like project starting and discovering like the starts of threats. Or what else? Problems. What else happened in summer? What's a, what's a threat that was discovered? Um, trolls. Through these, was the trolls in summer? I think the giants were in summer. Right. I know the assassins were there as well because for the eldest among you dies, what caused their death? It was that uh, the like one of the the elven lords was assassinated. Oh. Right. Giants, trolls, assassinations, pit people. I know at one point uh, a card was just like, you know, a, a project fails, which one and why? And someone had started a project to explore a giant canyon. And so I said that there was like big rain and flooding and it just flooded the entire canyon and the expedition was lost. I'm assuming that failure wasn't like a summer card, right? Because that, that was a summer card. It is. Oh, you can, there's failures and stuff that like happens in summer as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. There's not as many as like in the later seasons, but like that gotcha. card is is either a project fails, which one and why, or something goes foul, supplies are ruined, add a new scarcity. I see. Gotcha. All right. So after summer and this kind of building phase with possibly some setbacks, uh, then we go into autumn. Yeah. yeah. So autumn starts getting a little bit spicy um, where there's stuff like someone sabotages a project and it fails as a result. Who did this and why? Or someone is caught trying to sabotage the efforts of the community. How do they respond? Mike, do you have any autumn standouts in your head? Uh, I'm trying to remember which ones happened in autumn. Uh, I think we lost one of our food sources. Something goes afoul and supplies are ruined. I think the bison got wiped out or something. (laughs) Uh, That sucks. Yeah, so we (laughs) lost one of our main food sources. Thank God. And it created new scarcity. Yeah, thank God for that blastworm meat. Yeah, Yeah, right? (laughs) I know one thing that I liked was uh, the prompt, someone issues a dire warning and the community leaps into action to avoid disaster. What is the warning? Start a contentious project that relates to it. And that was decided that uh, something got the the meat pit people riled up and they started performing some kind of elaborate ritual. Right. What what got the pit people riled up? Well, no one knew. They everyone just saw they started performing some like multi-week ritual. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I mean, maybe there was like a push for veganism, or there's a bunch of vegans <laughs> that started making noise around the pit people. Well, they, they did the, not the like pit that. People are autonomes who just like they go about what they're supposed to do. Yeah, they could have been programmed to dislike yeah. anybody who 
talks about vegetables. Well, exactly. So <laughs> no one knew. Everyone just saw they started organizing and they started doing a ritual. I was like, that's not good. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's really great. cool. Yeah, so I'm I'm assuming Autumn has a bit more like a bit more of those failure events or a bit more kind of of that a little bit yeah. more of that negativity. Yeah, yeah, almost few, all the high good ones. Are bad. You know, there is like, you know, harvest is here in plentiful, add an abundance, or uh cold autumn winds draw your enemies, remove a threatening force from the map and area, or like a project finishes early. Gotcha. So there is the potential, like let's say you're playing with four players or five players, right? Um so each season has cards two to ace, and I'm assuming you shuffle them up and then yeah. somebody mm-hmm. draws on their turn. So you do have the potential to hit like multiple failures and like each each play of this can be quite different based on that randomization, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah because totally. each card is two options, right? And you're going to choose whichever one you think yeah. is going to be interesting. Yeah, well, ace through ten are all ores, right? And the, Or like two through ten are all ores and then all the face cards are just a thing happens. Uh, sometimes a few of them are, but a lot of the, the face cards are just stuff happens. Yeah. Sweet. And like one of them, so the, oh, no, the that, queen, the queen of autumn was like disease spreads through the community. Choose one. You either spend the week quarantining and treating the disease. No project dice are reduced this week, or nobody knows what to do about it. Add health and fertility as a scarcity. Huh? Yeah. Just like two bad options. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know the uh, the Ace of Autumn is is an interesting one where it's the community becomes obsessed with a single project. Uh, they decide to take more time to make sure it's perfect. Add three dice to that project die. Oh, that or sucks. they drop everything else to work on it. All other projects fail. Oh wow, that's yeah. really interesting. <laughs> so either yeah. you have to extend one, and if you draw the Ace late in Autumn, there's a chance that you draw the Frost Shepherds first in Winter, so you never get to finish that project, right? Oh, I see. Or if you have five other things on the go right now, there's lots of projects underway. You cause all of them to fail to finish that one early. Yeah, maybe the one you finish early is some crazy advancement for the community. Yeah. Now, I will say in winter, the threat is that the Frost Shepherd ends the game as soon as it's drawn. So um, let's talk about this Frost Shepherd, because this is I I have heard you say Frost Shepherd. I heard Mike mention Frost Shepherd and like I, I just. I'm picturing this crazy group of monsters or something like that, <laughs> but I don't know if that's the case. Well, it's not. It's meant to be some kind of ambiguous concept, and it can either be defined. Uh, it kind of outlines in, in, in uh, the rules where it says, you know, the Frost Shepherd isn't a known thing, or it might be. It's kind of like a bit ambiguous. Yeah, it just marks the, you know, it marks the the cold coming in, or it marks the the shepherding of yeah it just marks the end of the game yeah the the change that comes to it and so i chose i did not tell my players what it was uh but if you're running a game you could have it being something like you know maybe uh like for example in adventures on the ether sea their frost shepherd was that the earth was flooding and they needed to build an underground city uh sorry underwater city before there was no more land left oh and so their frost shepherd was that was the day when everything gets submerged gotcha and so they knew what their frost shepherd was um because of like you know this is kind of like a space pirate campaign thing i didn't tell my players and the idea was a frost shepherd wouldn't be some kind of direct cataclysm but it'd be the start of something how how do you like so you're playing this game right and then the person whose turn it is draws the frost shepherd card do you just say all right cool ggs or like like how do you how do you wrap this up as a 
so as a game. I for first of all, one thing I did is because I wanted to make sure we got to play a decent amount of winter. Is I actually only shuffled the Frost Shepherd into the bottom five cards, uh, to ensure we'd at least get sure. a good chunk of winter. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's cool though. Like, it, it even says in the rules like if you want to, you can just put it directly in the bottom. Okay, uh, so not cheater. I take it back. Yeah, no, it's not cheating. It's in the rules. So it's up to you. You can either keep it random or just play through all of it if you want to have like a fixed end. Um, but I want to have a little bit. So, uh, you know, what I did is when it finally got drawn, I ended up being the last card. Uh, mm-hmm. I had essentially my blurb prepared, which is what the campaign kind of hook was going to be for kind of the larger consequences, uh, where it kind of talked about how, like, you know, no one knew where it started, but like all across wild space, uh, something was, was going afoul, where there was an increase in oozes around uh, and that there were spores being carried throughout the cosmos that were spreading large mushroom colonies gotcha and that's the basis for your like that's that's the basis for your new kind of spell jammer arc of plunges and yeah yeah and And no one knows what that means nobody yeah exactly but chris did earlier in the game create the overgrowth on that map which is like a, a a a mushroom area and we had no idea what it was about. We had no idea where that was coming from, if that was going to have any implications at all. But now we know that like his story arc, his hook probably starts somewhere in the overgrowth. Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I want to hear a little bit more about, I mean, coming up on the hour here, so probably going to wrap up in a bit, but I want to hear a bit, just a bit more about kind of the winter cards and some of the events and some of the things that are happening during kind of the winter phase of the game. Oh, uh, yeah. So winter is kind of, you know, a lot of some harsh things like that. Uh, but also, like, a, there's some last chances to kind of get things done. Uh, so one of them is uh, now is the time to conserve energy and resources. A project fails but gain an abundance. Or now is the time for hurried labor and final efforts. A project finishes early but gain a scarcity. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So, like, hard choices for the players. Um, I think my favorite that happened in this. So, um, our, our friend Matt is not a fan of the Muppet race at all in, uh, D and D, uh, as you might've noticed, um, from discussions with him before Scott, but, um, it was being hinted at over and over again throughout this game that there were at some point, at least a race of Muppets on this place in wild space. Um, so one of the cards is either all animals and young children are crying and won't stop. Hold a discussion about this in addition to your regular action for the week. Or a great atrocity is revealed. What is it? Who uncovers it? So there had been a child that had discovered like a uh, like a remnant of a Muppet in one of the areas <laughs> in the South. So Matt made the atrocity that was revealed the... Uh, essentially the genocide of all Muppets. So all oh, Muppets are no longer exist within this world. They were all killed and it was uncovered by the same kid who found that one. I like, <laughs> I think Muppet born are funny. Like I, I, they're meant to be a joke race, obviously, but obviously, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know Matt likes to play the kind of more serious. Um, yeah. So now he's playing a fucking centaur. Well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> But he does like to play when I say like like from an RP perspective, roleplay perspective, I think he does like kind of that. He's really engaged, right? So yeah, he was not a fan of Kermit the Bard. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, this it sounds like a blast, honestly. Like, I, I'll admit, like, I, I definitely want to sit down and possibly try this at some point. Yeah, and I will say we did have, like, a wrap-up once it was done, as we kind of, you know, went back to the map. Uh, we named places that hadn't been named, because, uh, you know, there was, like, some mines that got created, uh, you know, ranches and cities. Like, we wanted to, like, really nail down, like, what those places were called. And so, you know, we just kind of went around like, okay, like, uh, what's the name of the Elven City? What's the name of the Gnome City? What's the name of, like, the Mining Town? And so, you know, we just kind of went on there. We kind of doodled in, like, extra mountain ranges the size of forests and things like that. And then once all that was done, I brought into Incarnate and then made it look even nicer. Yeah. Yeah, that's sweet. And so, yeah, now, you know, we're at the point where the, everyone's working on their characters. I know many of them are choosing to draw heavily from the background. I know one person's playing uh, a warlock, and they're one of the meat, meat pit autonomes who has gained sentience for some higher purpose, and his patron is the <laughs> meat pit. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Yeah, this sounds like this sounds like a blast. Sounds like you guys had a lot of fun. I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but let's just throw it out there, like, um, how do you feel about it? And is this something you'd recommend our listeners like pick up and try? I mean, I loved it. It was super, super fun. I think that it is a great way to world build collaboratively with your players. And I think that, uh, yeah, if you have the attention spent for like a couple hours of like world building and map building, it's fantastic. Uh, I am going to try to use it as the basis for any homebrew campaigns I do going forward for sure. Yeah, I'll echo that. Like, it achieved exactly what I wanted is that I got this, like, new world built out uh, to run my next campaign in. And I think also as a DM, it's really neat because it gives you, like, so many open hooks that are left on the table that your players can get excited about. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, man, like, we're finally going to this place. I'm like, oh, it's like the forest giants. Or, like, we're going to the overgrowth. Or, like, yeah. here's Maverick McQueen and this worm ranch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and for me as a DM who likes to incorporate... um likes to incorporate other rules and other things from various systems into my campaigns. I can definitely see this as, um, as a great like prologue, as you said, to a campaign or even, you know, some, somewhere in the middle of a campaign where there is that, you know, quiet year running kind of a modified version of this to, to help flesh out some of the future of the campaign, I think could be a really cool Avenue to explore, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like had, we done this a few weeks earlier. I probably would have done this as like an intermediary session zeros type thing after the call of Netherdeep game to set up this new world. I definitely, I think, would have run this. You do uh, have a bunch of that. You do have a bunch of Ruidium dragons and stuff running around, so you can just blast <laughs> everything to shit, and we can we can we can do this. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You're not wrong. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm super interested in this. Like y'all have piqued my interest and like, I know you've been talking about it over the last few days and we're excited to record this episode. So um, yeah, I'm definitely going to be doing a bit more reading on this and it's super cool. Yeah, for sure. If you have your own experiences with uh quiet year, feel free uh, to drop us anything that you want to chat about with it. Uh, you can always hit us up via email at dmsdiscuss at gmail.com or on Insta, Twitter, Facebook, or TikTok at dmsdiscuss. And if it's your turn, you might as well take an action to discover something, which is the subscribe button to our podcast in your favorite podcatcher app. Yeah, and just a little announcement. Check out our TikTok. 
and other socials. We are launching a Discord community for those who want to find games, find other players, find people interested in the TTRPG scene, and we'd love to have you join. Uh, Hope you enjoyed this episode. Check the show notes for fun stuff and links and all that stuff, and uh, we'll catch you after your quiet year.